and boring. No longer can it be said that we want to hear preaching. My friends and I, our generation doesn't care about following God or having God's power. It's not true that I don't follow the world's trends and I can make a difference. I know what I believe. The physical world and personal pleasures are more important than the spiritual world and serving Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, my heart doesn't long for God's perfect will, and it's just not true that I read the word, I follow Christ, and I can have God's power. It is evident that my generation is too far gone and beyond reach. It is foolish to think there is hope. I don't care. And you should never think I'm concerned with our godless culture. What's important is what the world thinks and what my friends think. And I don't really care all that much what Christ did 2,000 years ago. I think it's astounding that you believe one person with God's power can make a difference. What's important to me is me and my friends. The local church is dying. Don't think that it's all about eternity. It is the end of revival unless you claim God's power and choose to reverse it. It is about eternity. Don't think that it's all dying. The local church is me and my friends. What's important to me is that you believe one person with God's power can make a difference. I think it's astounding what Christ did 2,000 years ago, and I don't really care all that much what the world thinks and what my friends think. What's important is I'm concerned with our godless culture, and you should never think I don't care. There is hope. It is foolish to think my generation is too far gone and beyond reach. It is evident that I read the word, I follow Christ, and I can have God's power. And it's just not true that my heart doesn't long for God's perfect will. I have to tell you, the spiritual world and serving Jesus Christ are more important than the physical world and personal pleasures. I know what I believe. I don't follow the world's trends and I can make a difference. It's not true that our generation doesn't care about following God or having God's power. My friends and I, we want to hear preaching. No longer can it be said that the local church is dead and boring and there is no more revival. Today we're going to look at a very familiar passage. This passage has been called God's Prescription for Revival. Today I want us to see this passage in, in, in a very different light. That's hard when it's a passage that we know real well and that we love, we can quote. So today we're going to take a look at the text sort of backwards, sort of in reverse. I want to take the, the first part of the verse and look at it last, and the last part, and look at it first. This passage ends with three things that we desperately need. I want to take a vote today, a poll. I'm going to ask you to register your vote. Three things, three statements that I'm going to ask you to agree with by raising your hand or not agree with by abstaining from the vote. The first statement is this. If you agree that our country needs to be healed, would you raise your hand? Thank you. If you agree with the statement, we need to be forgiven, would you raise your hand? Thank you. And the third one, if you agree that we need to hear from God, would you raise your hand? Wow, that's, 
If uh, one of our politicians could get that kind of vote, be in office with no problem. Let me start by saying this. As a nation, we need to be healed. We have problems. We're sick. As a country, we can no longer be called choosers of life. According to the Center for Disease Control, since 1975, there have been over 1 million abortions a year. From 1973 through 2008, nearly 50 million legal abortions have occurred. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, God says, This day I will call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. And He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We no longer, uh, we're now living in a country that is no longer making so many decisions about life before birth and how that death will occur. But we live in a country that's now discussing death of the old, death of the diseased. Those whose quality of life, which is a phrase we need to be really careful how we define, whose quality of life is at risk. Already in Washington, Oregon, and Montana, PAD, physician-aided death, is legal. As a nation, as of January 1st, 2012, our national debt is dollars It's so big I can't even read it. It's massive. The United States now owes more money than its yearly production, our, our gross domestic product. Our national debt will soon pass 20% of the entire world's combined gross domestic product. In the United States, we have over an 8% employment rate. 50% of our population receives some form of government aid. When you add to this the realization that over 50% of the population today doesn't pay taxes, we're a nation that needs healing. We need to be healed. Secondly, we need to be heard. John 9.31, Jesus says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. So this means that God is waiting to hear from us. Those of us who are His people, those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who have made the choice to live our life for Him, God is waiting to hear from His people. We think we're a Christian nation. We think God is listening. I think this is why we think we're okay. I think we look back to the past and say we're a nation founded on Christian principles. If you go to New York and you, you look in some of our, our buildings, the Supreme Court, you, you see inscribed there images of, of the Ten Commandments, Scriptures, things about God. And we look back to that and, and we, we want to hold on to that and say, but but we're a Christian nation. There was an article in Christianity Today that said 
80% of Americans claim to be Christians. 80%. We've heard Brother Mike stand right here and tell us that 80% of Shelby County only goes to church once a month or less. And we live in the Bible Belt. Yet 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. That same article stated that one-third of the world's population claims to be Christian. I do have good news today. We probably never need to send another mission trip to Mexico or Brazil. We go to third world countries and we have incredible uh, displays of evangelism and people's lives being changed. But in these two countries, both claim to be over 90% Christian. Brazil, almost 93% of the people claim to be true. One or two mission trips, we're done with those countries. They're there. Unfortunately, I don't think it's true. There are a lot of people who claim to know God. So our base of potential prayers and opportunity for God to hear seems to be large. It's not enough just to say with our mouth that we know God. It's not enough just to click on a survey, I'm a Christian. We have to be people of God. We have to be followers of God. He has to be our everything. He, he has to be the thing we think about from the beginning of the morning to the ending of the day. Let me remind you that it was Jesus that said in Matthew 7, 13, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. Later in that chapter, Jesus also says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It seems to me we have a lot of people claiming to have God's ear and the prayer that he is listening to from them is not a prayer for our nation, it's a prayer for their salvation. Because that's the prayer that God listens to for those people who don't know Him. We're so quick to say things with our mouth and we hope that just by saying them, if we say the right thing, that it communicates that we're good people. It communicates we're Christian people. I fell victim to this a couple of weeks ago. Pelham High School Band has a premiere night. My daughter Mallory is one of the captains of the majorette team. We go, like all the other parents, and we watch the field show for the first time. Then, because Mr. Burnside has some twisted something in his brain, he has the parents of those children go onto the field and try to perform part of one of the songs. Now, my wife Patty is, is beautiful. She looks like she could be a majorette. She refuses to go on the field. She says, I'm not going down there. I did it the first year ago. I went last year. People were still ribbing me from last year. And I looked at her and said, I just don't think I'm going to go. You're going. So it got time and they performed the show and she sent me down on the field. Majorettes and cheerleaders and flag people do this little prissy dance. I can't even demonstrate it for you, but just trust me, it's a prissy dance. I refuse to do it. Now, I'll tuck the baton like a football and run over whoever gets in my way. Or if one of the other dads wants to tuck it and run towards me, I'll tackle him. But I'm not going to do that little prissy thing with the baton. I did make a toss 
And I did make a catch because I was on a football field. But it, it's, it's a tough night. I knew going into it, this is not going to be fun. So on that day at 3.15, we have a Bible study for Pelham High School football players. We have about 40 football players that are studying with, with me and several of our coaches the book, Not a Fan. As soon as that Bible study was over, one of our coaches said, hey, we've got a student that needs a ride home. Don't you live in Helena? I said, well, I do. Well, he lives in Helena. Can you take him home? It's out of my way. So really without thinking about the day, I said, sure, I'll be glad to take him home. Cookie, come here. Coach Donnie's going to take you home. We were starting to laugh. Oh, whoa, 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 hang on, Cookie. This is that band day. And when we talked about it as a family, I heard 5 o'clock. So in my mind, I thought that the band premiere started at 5 o'clock. So I said to Cookie, I'll be glad to take you home, but I need to do the premiere first. Okay, Coach, I, I, I'll stay and watch the premiere. So here this large football player who had already been through his whole day sat in the sun for two hours watching the band practice because the band premiere didn't start till 7. When I found out, when I called Patty, and she reminded me again that I was going to be the one going on the field, not at 5, but at 7, I went to try to find Cookie so that I could take him home during that hour and a half break that we had. I went and looked in the stands. I didn't see him. I saw band directors and sponsors and a couple of parents. I didn't see him at all. I looked in the weight room. I looked all around. I really thought I did due diligence to find Cookie. At 7 o'clock, when Patty and I met up, at the gate, there stood Cookie. And I said, Cookie, I, I looked for you. I was going to take you home. He said, I was sitting in the middle of the stands. You know, I'm big and black. I'm kind of hard to miss. I said, well, apparently not for me. I missed you. Man, I'm sorry. If I take you home now, I'm going to miss the premiere. That's okay, coach. I'll stay and watch the premiere. Well, about that time, one of our students walked up who lives in the same neighborhood. So I said, Dalton, this is Cookie. Cookie, this is Dalton. Cookie, Dalton lives in your neighborhood. Dalton, could you take Cookie home after the premiere? Sure. Cookie, find Dalton. Dalton, find Cookie. Whew. And I went and sat in the stands and watched the band show thinking, I'm coming up next and people aren't going to let me forget it. And I went on the field and made my toss and made my catch and I'm so proud of the fact that I made the catch and walked off and one Miss Cochran yelled at me, can you go find someone or mouse it got my phone from Miss Cochran. So life kind of got crazy and I completely and totally forgot about Cookie. We all got in the truck to go eat. As we were driving, I said, oh yeah, Mal, will you take my phone and text Dalton and say, don't forget to get Cookie. She did. Well, my phone's always on vibrate and apparently Dalton replied, I have a friend whose four-wheeler crashed and he's stuck in the woods and I have to go get him. I can't take Cookie home. I didn't see that till 9 o'clock. We went flying back up to the school. It was dark. There was no Cookie to be found. And it dawned on me that I was willing to say with my mouth, I will minister to you. I will take you home. If you'll do it on my time, I've got time for you. And then I passed it off to somebody else. It'll be good for it. Maybe they'll become friends. And the ball was dropped. And it wasn't Dalton's fault. It was my fault. 
And every day, we need to remember that just because we claim something with our mouth, just because we say something, say we're going to do it, if we don't follow through, it doesn't count. And today, just because we're willing to say, I'm a Christian, if we don't live it out, I don't think it counts. We need healing. We need to be heard. We need help. I already mentioned that in this familiar text, we usually read verse 14. But verse 14 is clearly a continuation of verse 13. Listen to verse 13. This is God speaking. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, then, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will hear their land. You know, it's possible today that the mess that we're in as a nation isn't Obama's fault. Or it may not be because of Congress. Or it may not be because of the Senate or capitalism. But simply because God's own people are being drawn back into a relationship with God. The relationship that He wanted. So much so that He's willing to do whatever it takes to bring us back home. Here's what's happening in this passage if you're not familiar with it. David has died. Solomon is king. Solomon is David's son. Solomon in the early chapters of 2 Chronicles 7 asked God for wisdom. And then he begins to purchase the materials to build the temple. The temple that David wanted to build. The temple that God said his offspring would build. When the temple is finished, Solomon calls all the people together. They have an incredible worship time. They, they pray. They make sacrifice. God sends down fire to consume the sacrifice, symbolizing to them the power of God and symbolizing to them that God has heard their prayer, that God is in their midst. And the people go home and say, what a great experience that was. The next day, as we get closer to chapter 7, God speaks to Solomon. And He said, I've accepted your worship. I've heard your prayers. I will... I will own the temple as a house of, of prayer and sacrifice and worship. And then on the heels of that comes verse 13. In the same breath, God says, at times I might shut up heaven so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers or locusts to devour your crops. That was really a symbolic for the armies would come in and completely destroy you. Or sin plagues. It is in that context where God says, there's going to come a time when I'm going to do this. Then, after I've done that, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. God tells us when we get caught in this constant cycle that we see all the way from the beginning of man, all through the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in our lives today, we trust God. We begin to have a real relationship where we communicate with Him. It's a beautiful time. It's a time that new Christians, you look at them and you just see that God is in their life.
then God begins to bless us. And we begin to enjoy the blessings of God. And, and then at some point, we begin to think the blessings that came from God are something we did. Or, or perhaps something that we deserve. We move away from God after we get so caught up in it all. And then the temple or whatever it is that symbolizes that relationship that we have with God, it becomes just a beautiful building. I had a friend that left and moved to the mountains. Lived on a mountain. Beauty all around him. No more cityscapes, no more smog, just mountains. Every day when he moved there, he would drive down and just be inspired with awe at God's creation. The longer he lived there, the less he noticed the view. And before long, he was just driving up and down the mountain complaining how high it was to get back to his house. That's what happens to us. God says when that happens, He will get our attention. God says, after I get your attention, there are four things that need to take place. First of all, He says we need to humble ourselves. Alabama fans, this could be very applicable to you today. Great win last night. We need to humble ourselves. A simple Donnie definition of humbling ourselves is this. Remembering that God is God and we are not. Because what happens is when God does this in our life and He blesses us and we get to a certain point, we begin to think we're God. To the point that we don't need God anymore and we push Him out of our life, out of control of our lives. And we begin to take over and we say, look what I've done. Look at me. Look, look I, I, I've done all of this. Humbling ourselves to remember we, we can do nothing. We're, we're nothing. We're, we're ants. When we realize that we aren't God, but He is, that's humbling ourselves. God is not the man upstairs. Jesus is not your homeboy. We're, he's the God of the universe. He's the creator and sustainer of everything. He's the King of kings, the great I Am. That's God. That's the God that wants a relationship with us. In this text, the next thing we see is we need to seek God's face. We hear that and we I think visually kind of capture eyes, nose. That means to be in God's presence. Seeking God's face means moving to God's presence. Find where God is. Moving into that direction. Wanting to be in the presence of God. He wants us to be with Him. He's a jealous God. He wants us and Him to be our everything. We, we need to pray. God wants us to call out to Him in prayer. Honest prayer. Not just, thank you for our food. Not just, let's pray real quick so we can get our meeting started. Not just, somebody's sick, God, please heal them. God wants us to pray, to communicate with Him. To confess our sin. Not asking for salvation. This was aimed at people that called themselves the people of God. This wasn't an evangelistic passage. 
This is aimed, if you're here today, this is aimed at you. Praying not for salvation. And this, you are already assumed to be in that group, the people of God. But, but praying and saying, God, forgive me. I've already asked you to come into my life. I've already asked you to make me different. And I've blown it. Our ride from Jefferson's to Pelham High School was a miserable drive because I knew that I had done something wrong. And we need that when we pray to God because you know what? God knows. And He knows that we need to confess that. We need to make that public. We need to get rid of it. And then we need to ask Him to fill us with His Spirit. To give us His power. We need to read His Word. We need to make Him more important than food. We need to make Him more important than our family. More important than our job. More important than anything that breaks our focus on Him. We need to repent. Auburn folks, at the end of the game, you know what you were thinking. We need to repent. Repentance comes after we realize who we are, where we've been. It means to, to turn away from our wicked ways and to move towards God. To, to run towards God. And it's at that point we realize that God is running towards us because He wants our repentance as much as we need our repentance. I think this text is directed purposefully in our direction today. There's a reason that I took the passage backward. Point number four is that reason. We do need to be healed. We do need to be heard. We do need to be helped. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, we need to be His. We usually start with, if my people who are called by my name. We blow past it to get to the good stuff. I think that is the good stuff. We like the part called by my name. We're Christians. 80% of the people in our country that they did on that poll said, I'm a Christian. 80% said, I'm a Christian. We'll wear crosses. We'll, we'll go on Facebook and click Christian. We'll, we'll put a cute bumper sticker on our car. We'll, we'll wear a t-shirt or a gel bracelet or, or get a tattoo. We'll, we'll post a scripture from our online Bible that they send us every day that we read so we can say we had a quiet time with God. I can go on. I've done most of the things on that list. And to be honest, when I typed them in, it made me a little sick in my stomach. Because I realized a lot of times, I was just outward. Outward is no good. This passage is telling us that outward is no good. So the question I want you to consider with me today is, what does it really mean to be a part of God's people? How does one become a part of the people of God? People, people the word people is a plural noun. People of God. I know it means a collection of God's followers. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to break it down a little more because I've already shared with you our expectations of what it takes to be a, a people of God because God is different and God's people must be different. Rick Warren wrote a great book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it starts by saying, it's not about me. I agree with him in theory. 
But there is a time, and I think today may be that time when it is about you. Today, it's about you. It's not so much about us as it is about you. What are you? What are you doing in your part as the people of God? Sermon on the Sentence today is a quote by Charles Finney. Finney said, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's giving up one's will to God and deep humility. I started today with a poll. I asked you to vote. I asked you if you agreed that our country needs to be healed. Almost every hand went up. I ask you if you agree with the statement, we need to be forgiven. Almost every hand went up. I ask you, do you think we need to hear from God? Almost every hand went up. The secret to attaining the promises we find in the end of this verse are hidden in the words in the front of the verse. Are you a person of God? We don't have time to wait anymore for the people of God. We don't have time to wait for our staff to get right. We don't have time to wait for our deacons to get right, for our committees to get right. Today, it's about you. Today, we need you to be right with God. Because when you're right with God, and we do that individually, at that point collectively, we can become the people of God. It's not going to happen to everybody at once. Unless God sends down a, a Holy Spirit kind of revival as He did it once before. Until that happens, it's up to us, person of God, to do everything that we can with God's help to be the people of God. Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Before His people? Are you willing to have the kind of communication with God that He wants? Are you willing to clear everything else out of your life to be in the presence of God? Are you willing today to admit that you're going in the wrong direction and turn around and run back to God? We have to quit waiting to see if anybody else is going to do it. I've been on a church staff for 30 years. Before that, I was a church member. I've been through revival services just about at least one a week all of those 30 years and some before. I've read stories of great revivals where people were changed. We had an awakening here a couple of years ago where people were changed. But all of those things happened in small increments. And I'm not so sure today that the greatest thing that happened when we had the awakening wasn't in the 1,500 decisions, but the three or four changed lives that I see every week in football coaches. Because our locker room is a different place today than it was two years ago. And today, I'm not sure it's not more important that if just one of you says, today I'm going to own up to being a person of God. Today I am willing to say, I need to humble myself before God. Today, I'm willing to admit that I need to 
pray, that I need to seek God's face, that I need to repent. Because it's not going to happen collectively until we're willing to do it individually. Quit waiting to see if anyone else is going to do it. You know that our country, you know that our world needs to be healed. You know that we need to be forgiven if for nothing else than for being silent. Those babies weren't aborted for any reason except for the fact that the majority of Christians kept their mouth shut. We refused to get involved. We just let it go through courts. We didn't get to be have our national debt without Christians standing up and saying, that is wrong before God, so it's wrong for us. We need to hear from God. It's up to you. It, it's not Brother Mike. It, it, it's not our staff. It's you. Today, this is about you. There may be a bunch of you out there, but today, hear from God. I was cutting my mother's grass on a riding lawnmower, quoting Scripture. I quoted Second Chronicles 7.14. I've preached on the passage before. And for some reason, it wouldn't go away. And God began to give me this message. I don't think this message was for you. I'm pretty sure it was for me. But I'm also pretty sure that as my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's for you too. So I ask you today, will you be courageous? Will you be honest? Will you realize that we do have major problems? And those problems could have been sent to us by God to draw us back home. His children, who He wants to give good things to, but we've forgotten our place. I'm going to ask you in just a moment if you'll stand with me and pray and hear my heart. What happens from this point on is not about me. It's about what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. But during this time of invitation, would you seriously consider God's Word today? Not just a text that you've heard hundreds of times. Not just a sermon that you've heard hundreds of times. But will you hear today that we need persons of God to do the right thing so that we can truly be the people of God? Would you stand with me? Father God, I thank You for today. and Father, I know that as I studied and as I thought through this passage that You revealed to me that a lot of times I'm more talk than action. That I'm quick to claim Your name and quick to identify myself with the people of God. But far too many times, I'm not a person of God. Father, today I pray that Your Holy Spirit, the same power that we saw in this text that fell with fire and consumed an offering, that in Acts fell and, and changed lives. Father, that, that Holy Spirit that now doesn't just visit us, but indwells us. 
Father, today your Holy Spirit will help us to search our heart. Help us to be honest. Father, today I pray that you give us passion for our community and our state and our nation and, and for your world, your people. Father, oh, that it were true that 80% of our country was Christian. Father, I pray that today we'll be honest with you and do whatever it is you ask us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, if you, you're not a Christian, and God speaking.